What's going on? Everybody, you've got the cardboard coaches here with your boy, Coach Co. CRTL, the cartel. And uh, I don't know if you guys picked up on that, but I'm pretty sure my voice just cracked there. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, speaking of cracked, um, you know, I feel like the, the hobby's kind of cracked out right now. Uh, there's uh, everyone's kind of in a tizzy. Uh, we'll talk about why. We also have a fun guest on the latter half of this podcast. That I'm sure a lot of you are going to enjoy um, who's going to share some of his uh, s- stories about collecting as well as um, kind of where he fits into this big puzzle that is collectibles in general. Uh, but back to the sports card hobby kind of being cracked out right now. Uh, there was a post floating around. Uh, I think the post was originally po- pointed out by AIH Sports. And it talked about how uh, a gentleman by the name of Kurt's Card Care. I don't know if I guess I guess the gentleman, Kurt, uh, has been advertising some of the work he's been doing on sports cards. Now, we've talked about this in the past, I think, without actually mentioning a name. Um, about how, you know, people have been fixing corners. Um, and recently in regards to the $1.1 million Justin Herbert, black finite, that um, rookie that uh, closed recently, there are some before and after photos that he's shared and, and kind of boasted about uh, how there was a, a, it looked like a splotch on it. It looked like it was a little bit more than a fingerprint. I know a lot of people are like, uh, that's just something that you can remove f- with a simple microfiber. But uh, in my opinion, if you could remove it with a simple microfiber, you probably wouldn't be sending it to this gentleman who specializes in removing, uh, you know, tough to remove or tough to repair, however you want to say it, uh, issues with your sports cards. Um, and so the topic of what is an alteration has come up a lot over the course of the last few days. Um, I actually had CSG in one of my TikTok lives uh, recently, uh, completely by chance. They, they popped in and uh, they managed to pull one of the members from their grading department over uh, to answer a few questions, specifically when it ca- came down to uh, if one was going to use a scratch remover or another substance to um, improve the surface of a card, would that be considered altered? And their response was uh, pretty robotic. And I understand why. I mean, you don't want to encourage people to do things that might actually result in something being altered. But basically what they said is that if something has been uh buffed or polished using a uh, substance that is detectable or a machine that is detectable, uh, it will receive an altered grade. Basically saying, in so many words, at least that's what I interpret this as, is that if they can't detect it, whatever you do is fair game. And as someone who's been through many decades in this hobby, I'd like for you to chime in here because, you know, you are the the voice of, of Christmas past here. Man, my beard's not that white, is it? <laughs> um, I've kept, uh, 
your voice is cracking. I'm just getting older every day. You're, you're going backwards. I'm going forward. Um, I've been pretty quiet about this topic. Yep. Cause I like Rahul. Um, I like his existence in this space. I like what he's doing generally. Um, by the way, and that's like a very good qualifier. If I say I like what you're doing generally, that's a good thing. Um, sure looked like a thumbprint, didn't it? But yeah. if you're not holding something in your hand, you don't really know exactly what's going on. Yeah. And it's cardboard and it's plastic and it's, uh, like, you a know, like a chrome box. finish, you know? And it's all this stuff yeah. that can be affected. Um, the basic PSA statement on their website is PSA will not grade cards that bear evidence of trimming, recoloring, restoration, or any other forms of tampering or are of questionable authenticity. And they have the final say. Yep. And if they're not sure, you're not getting your card graded, right? Uh, I just had that card that I pulled myself, sent back to me. Uh, I can't remember what the label said. Evidence of trimming. They no, didn't no, grade. they didn't get. They didn't give you a label. Uh, they they sent it back in the in the holder or in the uh, the card, saver. card saver. Yeah, right. uh, but, I, but 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 it might be encapsulated as altered though, right? Like Re regardless, realistically, it's not altered. No, no, um, I know. I, I'm I'm aware. I'm aware. But I'm just right. saying. So no. I'm just saying yeah. it was pulled from a pack, and they have the ultimate. It's their discretion. It's it's their decision. It's what they want to do. Their PSA. Yes. Um. Now, people get through the cracks all the time. Of course they do. Um, back in the day at the OG card shops, lots of spoons hanging around. Uh, lots of other devices and techniques that have been used over the years to deal with corners, edges. Um, a lot of markers out there, but thankfully those are pretty easy to deal with. In the hockey hobby, 2014-15 SP Authentic, just take a look at that card and lean it over. Take a look at the edge. And you might see some of that ink seeping over where someone is trying to fill in color, right? So um, it's, it, it happens all the time. Now, there's a gentleman on uh, IG that I think we both follow, and his name is the Sports Card Doctor. Yep. Sports Card Dot Doctor. Something like that. Yep. Very nice guy. Uh, he loves hockey cards. He's a collector. Yep. Um, you know, I look at his page and I'm like, if you have a set of 8045 OPG, your favorite set in the world, and a few of the cards have some stress lines on them, which is very common, 80s OPG cards, why would you not send them to the sports card? Yeah. Doctor? Yeah. Well, I don't know what his rates are. I'm sure he's not charging an arm and leg for you to, to fix your, uh, Zarley's Alapsky or your, you know, um, your your Guy Carbono. So I'm, I'm assuming it's somewhat affordable and it's an opportunity for him to show off his work and what he does. Why would you not want to do that to make your set up to snuff? Yeah. Um, are you going to send him a Lemieux rookie, a Gretzky rookie? I'm sure maybe he's worked on those. And then that's when it enters the, the conversation we're having right now. Yeah. Comic books. There's active restoration and you you know you differentiated there's restoration uh there's conservation let's not forget you know there's people out there putting movie posters on linen back right so they're they're linen backing their posters and they're also restoring them to their original uh luster their original uh look 
but this is generally a known thing. And um, there's going to be a crowd and a market for the items as they are in the state that they're in. And there's going to be a crowd and a market for restored items because they're going to closely resemble what, what it is that they're looking for in a certain aesthetic. If that's the type of collector they are yeah. in comic books, if you're going to restore that comic book, it's going to have a certain label from CGC, which is the, the PSA, so to speak of comic books. Uh, I think it's like a pink label instead of a blue one. And in some, I, I pick the minds of certain collectors and I ask them is a pink label kiss of death. And I've had some tell me that it is if you're looking to maximize your value. Now, you can still get a blue label by sending your, your items off to the comic doc, who's a guy, or PSA or CGC themselves, and they will press your book um, and do all sorts of stuff to it. That makes your book look amazing. And that doesn't seem to be a problem. Uh, gets a blue label, which is what you're looking for when you're grading your comic book. So I get that it's like really confusing. I get that there's all these different standards and now it's making its way into the card world. In my opinion, at a very late stage, I'm surprised we haven't been having this discussion sooner or that yeah. it's not been out in the open sooner. Um, well, I think that's why so many people are upset right now. I think it, it's upset. It's a lot of people are upset because I'm sure that it's like, this has been known and that a lot of people potentially are doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I wonder if it's because people are starting to get cards back from PSA that, as we've agreed, me, you and I, they are kind of erring on the side of being careful. Yeah. So maybe that's why people are, are receiving all this, and now it's kind of out in the open. There's that, what's the guy's name? Mark? Uh, what, what, what is the, 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 the guy the, the guy who did the, the Herbert? Kurt. Kurt? Yeah. It goes to show how closely I follow this, this story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kurt's card care has a kit of some sort. Uh, have you ever altered a card, Coach Co? Myself? If you consider, well, that's our definition of altering, right? Um, I've used a microfiber cloth to get hairs and fingerprints. We all have. Right? Um, I mean, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I would hope so. I mean... Uh, but I guess that it would be a form of altering, you know, maybe not altering to the extent, right? Like this is the is this it, is the conversation. Like I mean, this is the conversation. Is, is, I don't if, know. If, if, if there's a foreign substance on my card, <laughs> which was produced by Panini or Tops, and meant to look a certain way, if there's a foreign substance that yeah. I've wiped away, have I altered the I, card? Are you bound by what happens when you open the pack? How many Panini and Tops cards have flex of cardboard and other? foreign matter on them you're telling me that i am going to be in a position where i have to not only be honest in a way that is like true to myself and everyone else yeah. like really deep integrity of leaving it as it is with flecks of dust on it so is that my responsibility now as a collector is that something we have to take on in addition to the high prices that we're paying for this stuff is that you better not touch that damn. You better put it in a sleeve as it is. <laughs> yeah, but there's this big bump. No, no, put it in the sleeve and shut up. This is kind of a crazy. This is why I have not been getting involved in this. I know, I know. That's why. That's I kind of want to smack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I know. There's like, um, there's, there's no winning here, to be honest. Um, but, but, but still, but there is a good conversation. Yes, in I here. agree. I agree. Um, for sure, because so. We're hearing now Topps Chrome 2022 has that that disgusting strip down the middle. Yeah. Guess what? So did 2021 Bowman's Best. I bought a lot of it. And I wiped every single one that had that strip. 
the first thing you thought when you saw that strip was, holy crap, now I have to go through the rigmarole of dealing with tops and maybe try to get some replacements. But the second I tried wiping it on this shirt that I'm wearing, not this exact one, and it came off really easily, am I going to email tops and now commit a certain amount of time and stress to that? Or am I just going to wipe each one? And by the way, as I told you, Co, a couple of them came back PSA 10. Yeah. I, am I supposed to feel like a criminal right now? That was clearly some sort of factory error, which they still haven't fixed because now it's in the 2022 product tops Chrome. It's really annoying because it affects autographs and hits, which is what you're paying for. And if it, if, it, if it is easily removable, I'm not talking about sending it to Kurt's card care. No, no, no. If it's no, no. easily removable at home, yeah, yeah. remove it. And don't worry about if someone's going to call you out on YouTube over it. And for, yeah, first yeah, of all, yeah. they're not, they're not going to know. No. No one's going to find out. Now, some people are going to be like, hey, look what I did. I They're going to post it on IG. They're going to be like, oh, look, I wiped this thing. And then and then people go, oh, you're a wiper, are you? <laughs> well, you oh, know, I'm we, more of a- we, we know what alteration is. It's oh. trimming. Are you a wiper or a bidet guy? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's a big conversation in the hobby. We know that re- recoloring, we yeah. know trimming. Yes. Okay. Now, some of these guys, I've seen some of the, the stuff that they've been posting. They're doing you, some pretty wild stuff. If you press a corner, though, I mean, like, where does it end, right? Like, I mean, is that if now you, altering? You can get away with it, yeah. right? Because, by the way, I've tried to press some corners back in my youth. When I didn't know any better and I ruined a lot of cards. I, I learned my lesson pretty quickly. Yeah. Now, can you become some sort of corner pressing expert? Yeah. Now, how bad is that? Let, let's say you, you discover one of your cards by talking to the guy to show he's like, hey, Co, you know that soccer card you own? I pressed the corner. And you look at it and you're like, well, it's a beautiful corner and I own it now and it's a beautiful card. Th- then go have a drink. Yeah. Or you can get into a fight if you want to, because apparently, you know, that's that's a popular thing to do right now. Um, and by the way, a lot of people are attacking Rahul, saying he's just coming up with this stuff for clicks. No, you can sense in his delivery, he's passionate about this. He cares. He's trying to protect people. I'm telling you, and I'm not. And again, it was, you know who it was last week. Now this week, it's Rahul, but I, he's genuine. I feel he's being genuine. However, as I have just revealed... I think he's going a little bit over the top with the way that he's uh, dealing with this. If it was some sort of thumbprint, some sort of removable thing, I don't know how Kurt's card care took care of it. If it was a chemical, I love that the storyline that's been put out there by smart people is it looks okay now. How is it going to look in five years? Yes, I agree. I agree. I agree. And that's ultimately what it comes down to, right? Like, I mean, we, we, we talked about it earlier, you know, like a a grading company confirmed, like if you can't, if there's no detection, then uh, I mean, what what are we what are we arguing about? Do you know what I mean? Like right. I, 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 it comes down to like again, do you wipe? You do you use a microfiber cloth? Do you use your shirt to wipe? Like if your iPhone is dirty, do you wipe that? Right? Like I mean, it it, it can't be out of malice, of course. Um, but I think ultimately at the root of it, everyone wants their cards to look the best that they possibly could. Um, now. I mean, once we start trimming corners and, uh, you know, like it, it, it's, a, it's a slippery slope. And I think ultimately what Raul's trying to do is try to uh, establish guidelines. The problem is, I mean, as we know in this hobby, guidelines almost don't exist and they change frequently. Right. Like they I mean, they change almost without anyone talking about them changing. Um, and we're experiencing that with some grading companies. 
And he got this conversation going and he got the same way Rahul got people to start looking at the policies and the fine print at auction houses is the same way Rahul has people looking at the policies of these grading companies, looking, just looking. He's telling people to look and people are looking and I think that's great. Um, but again, this PSA thing that I'm looking at right now, ungradable cards, evidence of, tri of trimming, recoloring, restoration, which of course means adding things to the card, right? Like adding paper where yeah. it was missing. Yep. Um, or other forms of tampering. I like that. That makes me feel comfortable that that's the general rule that they're going with. It has nothing to do with if you flatten a corner. It has nothing to do. We've all done that thing with the corner with our finger on the edges. We all do it. I did it. And you try to you, it, and you try to push it down before it gets into the plastic, you know, so it kind of like stays there once it gets shipped. You know, like if if Upper Deck's overprinting a young gun, you use your finger across the edge. I'm not a rocket scientist. Then you get your PSA 10. It's ha it happened. I did it for a bunch of people at the show. I'm a criminal. You know, um, because there was a little bit of extra paper off the printing press. There's some things you can't do anything about. You can't do anything about a diamond cut. You can't do anything about chipping. Once the chipping has happened, it's over. Game over. Done. In my opinion, if Kurt's Card Care has a way to deal with the chipping that gets by PSA, I really don't know what to do about that. You can get mad if he's advertising it and showing it off, but people are going to pay him and he's, he's going to do it. Well, I mean, especially if like PSA is not doing anything about it. Like clearly, I, I, that, means they like, can't, that means they it, can't detect it, right? So, Or it's not doing anything wrong. Right. Like, I mean, I don't right. know. Right. Like uh, there's it, it, if it's being advertised, there's no way that like it's not on people's radar because like it's on everyday people's radar. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, look, the bottom line is that the, the idea is who are we protecting? We're protecting someone who winds up with the card and then finds out later it was restored or they notice it was restored or something was up with it because they paid for what they thought was an original card. This is the big thing when it comes to like certain other collectibles it's it's in my it's mind-blowing to me like buying raw comic books is a dangerous game someone could could retouch a small square inch of that book you don't notice that till you get home and that's why we have these grading companies um that are supposed to add that layer of protection for us i think the five-year point is really interesting because, uh, you know, yeah. if, if chemicals are used or, right. you know, you do use them. And I mean, but is that just going to change the value similar to how greening did? You know what I mean? Like, you know how some of the, the cards from like, like, let's say 96 tops chrome basketball. Uh, you know, natural, it, natural aging from the uh, components that they used originally. Right. Like, I mean, obviously it might devalue the card a little bit in comparison to some of the other ones but if you got nothing to compare it to then i mean yeah. who's, to, who's to say that the ink doesn't just doesn't just get faded over the next 5 10 20 years right yeah, like, and then and that, there'll be a transitional period where ones that haven't greened are going to be valued and then when they're all green you're you know but listen like people want the best in a lot of situations yes. they want it to be original however there are some people that will compromise um there is demand for restored posters. There's demand for restored advertising collectibles. There's demand for restored cars. There's a level of functionality there as well, right? Cardboard doesn't need to be restored to be functional. It's still gonna serve the purpose. We're gonna hold it in our hand and look at it. We're not doing anything beyond that. Comic books, you wanna be able to turn pages and have a staple. Staples are being re-added. Functionality. Cards, there is no real functionality. So 
And of course, something that was interesting that happened around the time of the mantle sale recently was people talking about the value of uh, vintage cards in their original form, showing their age has an appeal to it. I, I certainly believe that. I mean, I, um, I, I actively collect like PSA ones, twos, threes, fours. SC, yeah, I mean, SCC2, when you hold like, those Maradonas yes, and those soccer yeah. cards in your hand, co coach, you are holding history. Yeah. And it's kind of weird. If history is in perfect shape, it's kind of weird. It becomes less historic. It is weird. Does, I'm that, a, does that make sense? Is that controversial? Yeah. But you're holding the age and the history of that card when it has that noticeable when it has noticeable defects. Now, I don't go actively looking for like cards that are weathered, but I do know people that do. And, uh, you know, a fun fact about the guest that's going to join our podcast very soon is uh, he, he actively looks for cards that, that, that tell stories, um, which I find is super interesting. You know, he collects uh, PSA ones and uh, just because it's actually, and I know a few people that do this. It's actually quite challenging to get a PSA one. Like it's not a two, it's not a three, it's not a four. Like, like so much needs to happen to a card. Um, yeah, there is a, a guy on IG. I'm not gonna mention his name because I don't want to. You, you can if you want to. Um, but he actively pursues low grade modern cards. I think to him it's uh, it's funny, but uh, it is funny. Uh, he he wants the PSA ones of all those base PSA tens that are out there. Uh, makes for clicks. I mean, the I pop population is certainly less, though. You know, what's that? The population on those is one hundred percent less than the tens. Absolutely. So there's the. I, I like how it's a comment on. Yes. Uh, it's a. Uh, it's he is a philosopher in this card space. He's a philosopher in that sense. He's making a comment on what we're doing. I like that. That's why I like a lot of the memers that are smarter than just the surface stupidity. Which, by the way, we have been seeing a lot from memers lately. I'm just going to put it out there. There's a lot of escalating stupidity that's been going on. Yep. I put that out there because I like them and follow many of them. And I want to see them do well instead of do stupidity, which is what we've been seeing a lot of lately. It goes Agreed. beyond uh, the, the smart commentary. Because there's so much material. Use that material. You don't need to be posting stupidity. We are going to let this gem of a human being in right now. I am pleased to introduce Mr. Eric Whiteback. Some of you might know him for his crazy Supreme Collection. Maybe you follow him on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok. or I mean, I don't know what other platforms you've got, but uh, you've got the floor at least here, Eric. What's going on? Yeah, what's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, yeah, I mean, look, you maybe know me from the Supreme stuff, the sneaker stuff, whatever, but I'm like, I'm sort of trying to switch that right yeah. now, right? Like I, that used to be me, you know, there was four or five years, ago, I was like, everything I did was Supreme sneakers, streetwear, this, that, this drop, got to be there this time, this day, and like get all the stuff, right? And um, still like, you know, interested in that stuff and enjoy some of it, but want to be known more for what really is my true passion, which is collectibles broadly and, and more narrowly, uh, cards and sports memorabilia is just what I love. So when you hit me up and told me you wanted to talk, I was pumped to get on here. I've been watching your videos for a little while. And I, I will say this right now. It's like, I've seen a million and one people try to do card content and sports memorabilia content and collectibles content who have no idea what they're talking about. And like the thing that made me grab 
gravitate to you early on. I was like, oh, this guy like actually knows what he's doing. This is very refreshing. He's like pretty smart. He's got like, he can think for himself. This is awesome. So uh, yeah, man, I'm pumped to be here. I appreciate you. And I think the one thing that we all have in common here is the fact that uh, we're not afraid to speak our minds about things, uh, specifically when it comes to the collectible space, uh, specifically when it comes to the card space. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of the content right now is tailored to uh, big hits. It's, it's like, like more, more, more. Um, and it kind of like shoving the next best thing down people's throats. And uh, I think all three of us have the ability to kind of like, you know, take a step back, breathe, like, let's have a conversation about, you know, what's happening right now. And like, what are you buying and why? Um, and so, you know, transitioning into that, um, you know, what you said you, you, you're getting into more sports cards. Well, not getting into more sports cards, but you want to be known more for sports cards. Um, yeah. What is it that you collect currently? Um, actually, let's, let's go far back. Let's like, where do we start? Like, how do we start with the sports cards? You said you're most passionate about that. Yeah, I mean, I can give you just a little bit of the background yeah, of how course. I got into it to begin with. Right? Yeah, of so, course, man. Um, growing up as a kid, my dad worked for Hershey Foods, like, you know, Hershey chocolate bars and stuff. Yeah. And they were, they were a big sponsor for a lot of sporting events. So he was in marketing. So, you know, they'd have an outfield sign at the All-Star game. It's like, you know, I'm four or five years old going to the All-Star game. And what do, what do they give you at the All-Star game? Right? It's like Fan Fest. And every little booth you go to or whatever, it's like they're just handing kids packs of cards. And so for me, that was like sort of my introduction to it. I was really young and I was getting, you know, for me, it was early baseball. Early 2000s baseball was where I started. Um, you know, some of these sets like, man, what was I really into? Like, I really liked Donra Studio. I liked um, Upper Deck MVP. I liked Fleer Tradition, like things like that, that, you know, I, I go back now, I'm like so nostalgic about, but that was the first introduction for me into, into sports cards. And then from there, you know, I was a big Philly sports fan. And when I was younger, right, like it wasn't that long ago, that was pretty much, it was baseball cards or bust, like basketball cards were sort of frowned upon, football yeah. cards were frowned upon. And I, I know you guys remember that, but it was sort of like the redheaded little brother of like baseball cards. Baseball yeah. cards were sort of considered king. So I was really into baseball cards, early 2000s, was collecting all the Phillies. My goal at the time was like, I want to get every Philly that has a certified autograph. Like I want to buy one, I want to find it, I want to try and get it. And then you know, I think it was 2007 top Sterling came out with 36, one of one Philadelphia Philly cut autographs. And I was like, Oh, now this is an officially uncompletable collection. Yeah. Um, and you know, it was sort of doing that for a while and, uh, got to a point where I was like, Hey, I don't think what I bought is actually like a good investment. I'm really interested in this company called Supreme now and what they're doing, what they're building. And at the time, you know, it was something that, uh, felt a lot like cards did in early, you know, 2019, 2020 during the COVID boom, it's like all this buzz around this brand. And I could see what they were doing at the time. It wasn't like they sort of by happenstance got to be this really popular brand. They did a lot of very strategic things to get there. And that sort of marketing in the way they did that was something that was really interesting to me at the time. And so um, basically as a, you know, early college, late high school kid, I was like, Hey, I just want to like, I, I want to focus on this for now. Right. So I sold all the cards. I got into Supreme and, um, you know, sort of funny enough, I almost happened into the content piece of it too. I didn't really set out to be like a quote unquote influencer, which yeah, is a yeah. word I don't love, but we yeah, can sort of use it here. Me neither. Um, and, uh, you know, so I just realized like, Hey, you know, everyone who's sort of into, uh, Supreme is like, they act like they're too cool for school. No one wants to like make a video or like put themselves out there. Even the brand, like the zero marketing. So 
in a world that's oversaturated with content, there's this like little niche with a huge cult following where no one's making any content. Like, what if I just sort of screw around and have fun? And it started with like, you know, someone would get like the water bottle, right? And they'll take it and they'll keep it in the plastic and they'll put it in a room with no sunlight. And it's like, all right, now I'm going to like take it out and make a video of me drinking out of it. And I'll take the Supreme Axe and I'll rip it out of the plastic and I'll throw it into a tree. And like, it, it sort of started for fun and uh, it grew to be bigger than I anticipated. And then basically like by the time I was graduating college, I was making just enough money. Like I had a deal from StockX. They were paying me, you know, just enough where I'm like, Hey, I think I, I'm going to go on my own. I'm going to like try this. I'm going to move to New York city. Like, let's do it and see what happens. And um, that's what I did. I moved to New York city with like a hundred thousand Instagram followers and put my head down on content for a year and left there with about two and a half million followers across platforms. And uh, it was really cool to see that sort of growth and definitely like took off and was way bigger than I sort of ever anticipated. Now I'm going to get back into the cards part of it. Yeah. Here, yeah that's like, okay, man. Um, you know, in the midst of that, I started, I was just working way too hard. I had a ton of burnout and my girlfriend and my fiance, she came to me and she's like, Hey, uh, you need a hobby. And I was like, Oh, you know what hobby? I, I know that word. Right. And this was right around the time people were sort of starting to talk about things again. And um, I'm tied in with Gary V and his team and, uh, you know, Gary's pumping cards and stuff. And I'm like, you know what? Okay. And like every sort of noob that gets back into it, I went and bought like two hobby boxes of prison basketball yeah, yeah, yeah. 2019. And I think it was like 500 bucks at the time. And so I started opening some stuff and buying some stuff and then COVID hit. And I just sort of like, you know, everything, everything in me got like right back into it. I felt like I, you know, picked up right where I left off. I loved it as a kid. And I probably went through like a few years there. I was like, ah, this isn't really cool. Like I, I'm trying to be cool, whatever. Um, and now it's like, you know, it's back and it's exciting. And so that was how I got back in to it. And very quickly I was, you know, scheming and plotting like, Hey, where do I want to take this? What do I want to do with this? Um, and so funny enough, I'm a big believer that tops and opinion are like incredibly stale. I think there are companies that have been around for a really long time. They're these legacy companies that do a lot of things the wrong way. There's some things they do really well. There's some things I really like that they do. They both know that they have a ton of my money and ton of my money invested in their product. And I've spent, you know, way too much money on both their websites. But nonetheless, I thought there was a lot of room for innovation in the space. And uh, so I actually started incubating my own company to compete with Tops and Panini. I had a few really exciting investors lined up. I got introduced to the people that actually bought Golden. And they said, hey, you know, this is cool. We're interested in investing in this, but, you know, um, we don't really do quote unquote small investments. Like our minimum investment, I think was like, that was a big number. Yeah. Um, and so like they said, but, you know, we just, we just uh, bought this company, Golden. Let us introduce you to the CEO. Maybe they would be interested in investing in this and running it as R and D on their balance sheet. So I was like, okay, you know, I, I can uh, I can do that. Let's talk. So I met with I met with uh, Ross Hoffman, who's the CEO there, and uh, basically pitched him on this idea. And he's like, hey, this is really cool. We love it, but like, we're not in a place as a business to help incubate a small business. And he goes, but you know, what would it take to get you here? And at first I was like, I don't know. I, I, I sort of do this thing on my own. I'm not sure. And after a few months of, you know, back and forth and him, you know, being excited to try and get me there, I eventually said yes. And uh, was there running their social media for a little bit over a year. And all the while, I'm sure you can imagine, I'm just like in cards 24 seven, my first day, my first day on the job. It's like Ken Golden texts me. He goes, meet me at the air, meet me at the, you know, private airport, whatever. We hop on the private plane and like we film the video with the PSA 2 Honus Wagner and the PSA 8 Mantle. And it's like, oh, like these are the cards I dreamed of holding as a kid. It's like day one on the job and I'm holding like, you know, six, eight million dollars of cards. Like, what is this? So uh, it was really interesting and really fun and uh, had a really good time there. I was there about 14, 15 months. And then just this past May, I decided to go back on my own, start making content on my own and getting back into the collectible space and uh, doing that publicly sort of for the first time. And uh, that's sort of how we got to where we're at. 
It's a wild story, bro. Yeah, man. I love the fact that you mentioned, you know, this, this hobby of ours, people will refer to it as, what do you refer to it at, to the common person or the layman is baseball cards, yep. right? Because it started through baseball. And I love that you relate it through uh, the way that a lot of people got started was through the love of the sport and through the love of their favorite team, their hometown team. Um, so it's kind of unique. You, you, you kind of come back to it in a way, and, but you came back to it during uh, a wild time. Uh, d- yeah. during what, you know, people refer to as a, as the pandemic boom, as you know, and that, that it extends a little bit further back. Gary V was talking about, you know, Ronald Acuna junior rookie cards uh-huh. before the pandemic back in 2019. What were some of the things that you noticed right away in terms of what was going on? And was it relatable to, again, a lot of people from the sneaker world came into the card world at that mm-hmm. point, you were dealing with Supreme products. What were some of the things that you were noticing and some of the connections? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I would even say, you know, there were a lot of things I didn't notice right away. I think like every other person that sort of got back into it, I, I was caught up in that like hype of the 2019 prison basketball rookies and like, what could they be? And I, you know, I, not for nothing. I had 600 bowl bowl prison base cards, right? It's so, like, there's a lot I didn't realize. Now yeah. I, I came to my senses early enough where I still did okay on those things. Yeah. And, and for the most part was up on a lot of base cards, albeit not at the margins they could have been up at. Of course. Um, but, you know, there were, there were definitely, there was definitely a really interesting time where a lot of people in my world were really getting into cards for the first, for the, for the first time, right? You know, I was someone that was coming back to it, but there were a lot of people in sneakers and streetwear that were getting into it for the first time. And, you know, just sort of anecdotally, I run a discord um, where, you know, we had members paying whatever, 15 bucks a month to get in. It's like all the sneaker info, here's all the drops, here's how you get them, here's how to set up your bots, here's, you know, the new calls release, all this stuff, right? And so I'd be promoting that and promoting that. And, you know, when cards started to hit, I was like, hey, you know, I'm just going to try this, right? I'm going to put on my Instagram stories. Hey, like, here's what I know about cards. Here's why I can help. And like, it was one of the biggest rushes of new signups that we ever had. And it was just really interesting. Like my following is not a card following. It's not really a collectibles following broadly. It's just this narrow sort of streetwear sneaker market. But those people, like it was the it was the biggest rush of new members that we had in the Discord is when I started talking about cards for the first time. And you know, that really showed me like, hey, this is a new generation of people getting into this. And and to me, you know, that's that's really compelling, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What would you consider to be your like so we're now back in cards you said previously that you started off with baseball. Has it transitioned back into baseball or have you found new loves? Yeah. I mean, so when I came into this, right, like uh, there's definitely cards that I love that make no sense investment wise. Right. And like I, but, but that being said, like I try to really limit myself in that category because I know if I, if I was filthy rich, like I would just have like, you'd, you'd come over and look at my cards and you wouldn't even understand why I own the stuff that I need. Like, this is stupid. This is silly. This makes no sense. Yeah. So from the very beginning, I tried to be very, very strategic about what I was buying and why. Now, I think a lot of people sort of ask the question like, hey, like, do you collect or do you invest? And I never really liked the way that question is set up. Like, I think you can very, very seamlessly be both. And I often think it's the collectors that are the best investors, right? Yes. Because they, they know what's important. They know what they like. If they like it and it's important to them, it's probably going to be liked and important to some other collector who also, you know, might have a big bankroll and be able to buy that card from them one day. So I, I do think the collectors are the best investors, but 
I try to buy things that I love that I think are really, really cool that I also think will go up in value over time. So, you know, even from like the Philadelphia Phillies standpoint, right? Like I sort of have, I've just in the last maybe six months started to build this little bit of a Philadelphia Phillies PC, but even within that, I'm like, okay, I want to be intentional, right? Like I, I can't take these cards with me. So, you know, when I do eventually sell them one day, you know, I, I would like to sell them for more money. So what should I be buying? And so I'm, I started all this research. I'm like, okay, I think I like the 99 finest gold refractors. I like the star rubies. I like the precious metal gems. And I think for me, that's like a really cool way to go and buy some of these players and cards that I really liked as a kid and still feel like, hey, by betting on these really great sets, you know, I can still get my money back or even make money on the PC now. I would say more broadly from, from an investment perspective, but also, you know, like when this product came out, I, I was in the store ripping it. It was the first time I ever ripped soccer cards. And it was the first time, you know, a lot of people ripped soccer wax it was 2014 prison world cup. That was, you know, really the first modern soccer set. Yeah. Um, the way that I see it, some, some OGs might point to like with three Manchester United upper deck or a set like that. Um, but I think, you know, 2014 prison world cup to me is the most important soccer set of all time, bar none. Um, I also was, you know, really deep in looking at uh, pops of cards and, you know, you go and look at, someone like LeBron James, who probably has, you know, 3000 different rookie cards and the average pop on that card might be a hundred. So how, how many PSA grade LeBron James rookie cards are there? You know, probably six figures plus. Right. And then you would go and look at a player in a similar era for soccer. Maybe you're looking at like Wayne Rooney is a 2002 rookie compared to LeBron who's a 2003 and Wayne Rooney has like two rookies and his total pop in PSA tens is I think less than 10 for his rookie cards. Right. So you can sort of see what's happening there. It's like, by only going back 15 or 20 years in soccer, you can get the pops that you have to go back 70, 80 years in baseball to get yeah. or 60, 70 years in basketball to get. And um, to me, I just saw that as a real opportunity. Soccer is the world's biggest sport. I th- think there's a lot of ethnocentrism sort of around cards, particularly in, in collectibles in general are a very US-based phenomenon. Um, yeah. So I sort of see the soccer thing as I, I see that play as a couple of things. One is like, if, if, cards and collectibles really catch on overseas, then forget about it. But I'm not banking on that. I think that's a lot slower, longer play than some other people might think. I think if soccer really catches on in the United States, also prices could get really wild. And I actually think that's probably the more likely scenario. Um, And I think people too sort of just realize like the the cultural impact that these guys have in soccer. And, and, you know, if you look at like the top 20 most followed Instagram accounts, 18 of them are soccer players, right? Like these guys are global icons. Um, you know, I, I really think as people sort of realize that, I always think that with cards and just about any collectibles, um, any sort of investment asset, logic wins out in the end. And to me, looking at prices, looking at pops, looking at overall um, sort of demand for the sport, I, it felt like soccer was an obvious play. And so I have an absurd percentage of my net worth wrapped up in soccer cards, mainly, <laughs> mainly high grade um rookies of legends and then as you as you guys would know the the 2018 and 2014 gold prism world cup sets are the other thing that i that i'm a big believer in i mean the fact that you sent those golds in uh during the value subs where a lot of people were sending in uh base prisms is probably the most uh telltale sign that you were you were ahead of a few things so kudos to you yeah yeah i mean look i i'm telling you i i'm very strategic about everything yeah. that i'm buying and everything that i'm doing there's not a there's not a penny that i spend that i'm not, not you know like sweating over honestly yeah it's it's a wild time in that sense I, and i'm glad you brought up soccer cards although it's not the spice of life for me now yeah. I, better understand, <laughs> I better understand your two relationship right now but you know look at look at what's happening you did not have companies chasing licenses like wwe uh, UFC, soccer, the way they are right. right now. I think there was like a lacrosse set. 
They're bringing back the, what is the net, uh, net pro, the tennis cards? Man, Alcaraz yeah. cards are through the roof right now. Now, given, yep. given that as a result of cardboard being so popular now, again, with the base being baseball, basketball, football, the big, the big three sports, so to speak, um, mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you feel about the stuff that we've seen extending out from that? I mean, you are a varied collector. I am a varied collector over many years. So I do have an open mind about it. And I'm glad that you mentioned logic. I, I, I believe that as well. Yeah. Logic has to win out in the end. But how do you feel about right now the the Marvel PMGs, the Star Wars? There's talk about uh, a Disney a Disney trading card game. How do you feel about mm-hmm. those types of things? Are you wary of them, or do you want to hop on them? How do you feel about? Them? Yeah, I mean, look, that's a great question. And to give you like just a little bit of insight into that, you know, the company that I was incubating to compete with Tops and Panini was going to be really based heavily around non-sports and the sort of idea that is pent up demand for a lot of these IPs that haven't had cards yet, right? And so, like, you know. We were working, I was working with like Floyd Mayweather's team to try and make cards for the Floyd Logan Paul fight. It was like the thing we were going to try to lead with. Now, why, ultimately, why none, none of that. Jake not making cards right now. Right. I know. I mean, I, I assume that one of them may have a card in the uh, upcoming WWE sets. I yeah. assume that that's going to happen. Yeah. I think that's going to be a big card when it does happen. That's, I mean, that's what I've been saying, man. That's what I've been saying. That one of one Logan is going to be wrestling Roman Reigns for the world title. It's got to happen. <laughs> Yeah. So, but I mean, like, look, I can even show you, like, there's, there's plenty of other things in my collection. I do have a little bit of a non-sport investment too, right? So it's cards like I've got, you know, Snoop Dogg's Alan Ginner PSA 10 autograph. I've got the Bill Nye autograph. I've got, you know, the Barack Obama shooting hoops PSA 10 from 08 Tops Basketball. Yeah, um, do you have the Justin Bieber Drake uh, sticker there? I don't have the Bieber Drake, but like, you know, if, if a good, whatever it is, the hollow PSA 10 of that came up, I'd probably go for it. Right. Yeah. So I, I do think that that when someone really gets that right. And I'm a big believer, um, you know, this is, the people have mixed opinions about these guys. I'm a, I'm a big believer in Josh Luber. I'm a big believer in fanatics. I'm a big believer in Michael Rubin. I think that guy's a, I think that guy is a, in business, is a killer and, and almost doesn't miss. I think fanatics buying tops and probably buying Panini will be the best thing that's ever happened to the sports card industry and the history of the sports card industry. Um, but, you know, Josh and what Josh was trying to build with Zero Cool and what he continues to build with Zero Cool. Now, it's like, it sort of seems like it might seem like a slow start. These companies take a long time to sort of get up and running. But if he really does the non-sport IP the way that I think that he can, I think it could change everything. Like, I'm sure you guys have talked about before. What would happen if there was like a Kanye West rookie card or an Elon Musk rookie card or, you know, something like what if what if Elon had a Super Fractor Tops Chrome rookie card from when he started PayPal, right? Like, that's a multi-million dollar card. And, Do you, um, you know, see Zero Cool as what you were envisioning? Eric? Yeah. I mean, um, not yet, but I don't, I don't think that that means it's not going to get there. And, you know, candidly, like I bought four boxes of the initial release of the zero cool V friend set too. Right. It's like, I'm a, I'm a believer in Gary. I, I'm like, I'm sort of an NFT hater. I don't need to get into yeah. that. But like, I'm a believer. I'm a believer in Gary and I'm a believer in Josh and I'm a believer in Michael Rubin. So I'm like to bet on those three guys at once feels like an absolute no brainer. Right. It's like, if I turn this a little bit, maybe you can see there's like a, there's a stack of uh, the V friends, zero cool base set there. It's like, I'm trying to complete that base set. Um, which is 235 cards. I'm about halfway there. There's only 22 of each of the base cards. Um, but to me, it's like, you know, it's maybe a little bit of a low floor, high ceiling bet. But you think about like, what happened? What would happen if the very first Pokemon set ever made, there were only 10,000 cards in the entire set? Like that's sort of what this is here, right? It's like, it's the very first zero cool set. It's the very, very first NFT trading card set. It's the first set that 
Josh Luber's done. It's the first set that Gary's done. There's only 10,000 total cards made. Most of the people buying it are, you know, rich friends of Gary's and Josh's and people that believe in them, right? And it's like, so you get those cards in the right hands, it's all those firsts and firsts are always a good thing in collectibles. It's like, to me, that feels like a set that heaven forbid Gary is able to do with V friends, even 1% of what Pokemon or Disney or any of these other major IPs have done. Like those cards are going to be worth an absurd amount if he's able to do that. Perhaps that's a low percentage outsider bet, but you know, uh, well, I, I did what, think that was a really interesting first way to go. And I will say of Josh too, and I do think this is his superpower. He doesn't care what anyone thinks. Like he built StockX while pissing off a large part of the sneaker community. And he didn't care. He just realized like, this is the tool that people need. I don't care if people think it hurts the market or hurts market prices. He didn't care. He just built what people needed. He didn't really build what they wanted. He built what they needed. And I think that's what he's going to do in cards too. And I'm excited to see it. What, what, what you just said regarding VFriends in a long-term window, so to speak, appeals to me as a collector and, and, and appeals to logic. Um, I, I was a bit of a possibly noted critic of V friends early on simply because it was being presented to so many people as a quick short-term play. But what mm -hmm. you've just said, in my opinion, frames it the correct way. I wish more people had framed it that way because now you're appealing to me as a collector and it, and it makes sense whether or not it's going to pan out or not, as you said, in terms of the future and it's the first zero cool release and it's first, it makes sense. And that's the kind of interplay that, that makes the most sense to me with collectors. Oh, and so are there, are there some other sectors that you feel like need to, need to have some digging done? In that case, it's focusing on a creator himself, Gary Vee. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I, I was just going to say before, I, before I, I let you continue, is that I, I, I think a lot of that has to do with, I mean, the fact that obviously you believe in all three of those people that are involved in that set, right? Like, yeah. I think a lot of that comes from the belief in those people and less about the the fact that you're trying to make the short-term invest or the, the short-term flip much like what Aton was saying right so um if you believe in it's almost like believing in a prospect right like it's it might be um i mean there's a there could be a high likelihood that, that this doesn't happen but like logically you make decisions and and you essentially weigh the pros and cons and you should decide like, is, is this worth it? And you've definitely decided that this is, is worth it. Is, so. Josh's, is Josh's current involvement on the creative level? Cause I know that he's changed positions. You know, I'm not sure exactly what his involvement is. I did read that he was still going to be pretty involved in zero cool and maybe a less involved role with the general fanatics cards as a whole. I don't know. I don't know exactly what's true there. I don't want to speak out of term, but um, right. you know, from what I understand, he's still going to be uh, doing and running the zero cool. What are you, what's your crazy story about uh, working with Ken Golden? Like you said that you, you saw, <laughs> you, you said you saw the PSA, the PSA uh, eight mantle first day, you know, you see the Honus Wagners, like those are, um, you know, maybe is it card related? Is it maybe a, a personality trait that we don't know that Ken has? I know that he's, he's pretty present in social media, but you know, maybe he tells really good uh, one-liners. <laughs> Did you know much about Ken before you started working for him? I knew almost nothing about Ken. Like, you know, okay. Ken, Ken would probably like be mad if you heard me say this, but like, I don't know who Ken Golden was three months before I was working for him. Right. Um, but you know, I found out who he was. And then once you find out who he is, you sort of never forget him. Um, and look, there's, there's a, there's like a hundred Ken Golden stories that I could tell. Um, some of, some of them safe for podcasts, some of them not, some of them just, so <laughs> yeah. I mean, the guy, Are the there guys, any borderline? Borderline. <laughs> the guy is, I will say the guy is a character. Like, 
however funny you're like big of a character you think he is like it's like 10 times that big like in real life he's just like hilarious in meetings he like interject like the funniest line ever let me think i i'm trying there's a borderline story i gotta like run it through my head really fast and think about i can i can probably tell this this is probably okay but i this to me was like this was the this was the funniest thing ever so um it's okay because we're friends coach co and <laughs> yeah and I, i'm i'm friends with ken and look i have nothing but good, I, yeah. I have nothing but good things to say about ken ken was amazing to me and yeah. he is uh obviously you know i've i sort of lovingly referred to as the warren buffett of the industry and i think rightfully so and i think you know what you sort of know of him now just wait another 12 months and it's going to look like what he is now is you know, just a fraction of how big he's going to be in 12 months and what, what he's building and what he's doing for his personal brand even and, and for Golden as well. But, um, you know, so the, all right, the story I will tell, um, borderline story as you requested. So as you know, there was a, there was a big whole scuffle when, when PWCC got kicked off of eBay. Right? That was like huge news. I wanted to do the tweet PWCC later on, on the Golden Twitter, but that one got nixed, I will say. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, what, what was so funny is I, I remember that day we had like this sort of emergency meeting and Ken calls it and he goes, eBay messed up. And I was like, what, what do you mean eBay messed up? Like, I, I thought, I thought Ken was going to be like sort of excited about this. He goes, I cannot believe what eBay just did. I'm like, what is, what is going on? He goes, my birthday's tomorrow. They should have waited one more day to do <laughs> So it was, it was just sort of really funny. And he like led this whole sort of like company wide, basically company out wide meeting with that. And like everyone sort of thought he's like pissed off. And yeah, yeah. It was just like sort of this really funny I thought you were going to say he was, he, he like said something crazy strategy wise. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah. But he's just, you know, it's funny. It's, it's, most, most companies he's like most sort of competitive companies. He has a really good relationship with. Right. And like, you know, like I mean, he buys things from heritage auctions, right? Like there's be no surprise. And people from heritage buy things from golden and it happens. Like if you're a collector, you're going to buy things from these places, but it's like, PWC, yeah. PWCC though was the one that was sort of an outlier in that where it wasn't, wasn't always the, uh, the, the friendliest of competition. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. Had you had you already parted ways during the LeBron logo man hoopla? I left right before that happened, so I I knew that we had the card. I knew that it was all going down. I was sort of helping with some of the ideas and trying to get the billboard up in New York City well, and things I, like that. But it was also it was also happening right as I transitioned out. And I will say, like you know, while we're on that card, the one thing I do want to say about that is like. I know Golden caught a ton of flack for the sale of being like 2.6, whatever. Like the only, only, only place in my mind that, that Golden messed up was by putting as high of an estimate as they did. Yes. Yeah. The only thing they did wrong, period. And whether you even want to call that wrong or not, I don't know, but it's the only place you can even sort of accuse them of misstepping. I think like without that sort of super high target that they put on it, everyone would have been so jazzed with that card selling for 2.6, whatever it was. Like that was yeah. an incredible sale. That's that's absolutely it. And as much as I'd like to dig in on, you know, some of these events, I can't sit here and say that it's something that Kenny uh, or sorry, Ken uh, was was constantly doing. Um, so I can't relate it to a pattern. It really seemed out there as a result of that. And I now I almost wonder if um, and Eric now, you know, like I, I saw your post uh, uh, regarding the uh you know non-game used patches how there's so many patches out there so you've got a really good perspective you, you kind of seem to have that understanding of some of these elements i almost feel as if that lebron the fact that you know would have been would have stood alone as such a great sale but failed to meet meet that that crazy evaluation 
Sorry, yeah. I, I mean crazy in the nicest way, that wild evaluation. Yeah, 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 yeah. no, yeah, um, crazy. And then meanwhile, the Mickey Mantle exceeds expectation. Yeah. I almost feel like it inadvertently, and again, this may benefit Golden ultimately, it, it kind of inadvertently switch something on in the collector mindset perhaps you know that that what what to focus on what what's what's really what really has inherent value there was no autograph on the logo man you know there was yeah, no and look I, I do think the logo man's like a good card i think it's an yeah. important card and look i mean like i was going to sort of say this earlier when when we were talking about view friends which is like i sort of have this inside perspective of golden where i knew what worked when we posted it i knew it didn't right and i think there's something interesting there with how a card performs on social versus how people just care about it in general what catches someone eye what catches someone's eye what doesn't the logo man, like when you post that thing, like it's getting, you know, it's, it's topping the charts for our most liked photo of the month, right? Like every time, but at the same time too, it's like you post something be friends related, like you'll never get a post with more comments. You just won't. Right. And it's, and I think that, you know, in social, I always say in general, like there's two things that you really want to be simultaneously. You want to be cool. You want to be controversial. If you can do those two things at once, I don't mean controversial, like offensive, but yeah, like controversial, yeah, yeah, yeah. like you have an opinion that's sort of different or sticks out there. Right. And it's like, you know, we, I, when we got that empathy elephant dual 10 autograph and from the Gary V set, I was like, I know I'm posting this and I know it's going to crush. And it was like our best post of the month. Right. And I, I think there's something interesting there where you can sort of connect the dots and see like, Hey, look, this is a relatively cheap card that when I post it, people go crazy or, Hey, this is a really expensive card that when I post it, no one cares, you know, cough, cough, 86 Fleur Jordan, right? Like no yeah. one cares to see that thing anymore. They've all seen it a hundred times. Um, and I, I do think there's some sort of interesting interplay there between what's undervalued and what's overvalued and how something performs on social. What do you think the, the flip is? Like the, when the, when it gets, when the light switch goes off, like what do you think it is that causes people to gravitate towards? Because I mean, things don't stay hot forever, right? Like, uh, I mean, even let's say Logo Man, like, I mean, they're super popular present, like in present day. Um, you know, will they hold that up consistently over the course of the next 20 years or like do they go dormant for a little bit and people are like you know what I'm tired of seeing logo men all the time um i want to see something else do you know what i mean like because people yeah, go totally, through cycles totally. like, no, and, and markets every... go through cycles and 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 um you know especially collectors yeah. i mean they kind of get bored collecting the same thing realistically yep. right like they kind of want to switch things up i mean cartel collects so many different things i'm sure you've gone re really hard on one thing and then kind of put something else down for a little bit yeah focus shift you're in the same you're in the same boat right so um what do you think the the switch going off is for transitioning to like a next like hottest thing yeah i mean look you are totally right that a lot of these things happen in cycles like i saw it in the fashion world a lot i saw it in the sneaker world a lot like it's jordan ones and then it's dunks and then it's this and then it's yeah. that and like some of that happens naturally yeah. some of that is the company is sort of getting behind it and sort of you know intentionally making a certain thing hot or not right like you know, Panini very intentionally made the triple logo man a very hot thing. Yes, yes. Um, now, there there are, this happens on a micro level where there are these trends like, hey, today it's the SB, tomorrow it's the Jordan 1, or hey, today it's the Marvel PMGs, and tomorrow it's the logo man. But it also happens on a micro level, or a macro level rather too, right? Like right now, it's like sneakers are getting crushed right now. Sneakers just in general are, are really, really struggling. And cards, it's like the sort of macro trend is like the really rare stuff, you know, the stuff that is hard to find is generally done pretty pretty well. And some of that more higher pop stuff has generally struggled, right? So those are sort of macro trends too. Now, when I think about what makes something have longevity over the long term in terms of, you know, generally doing well, generally outperforming the market and doing that over a long period of time, I really like to think about two things as it relates to what I'm buying and what makes something really, truly investment grade. One is rarity. 
And, and sometimes this is really easy to tell, right? Something serial numbered, one of one, you know, it's the only one. Something's numbered to 2007, like your, you know, gold. I was looking at these the other night, the gold, um, the 2007 tops, Derek Jeter with Mickey Mantle and George Bush in the background, right? Like that's, you know, there's 2007 of those, you know, if it's something's numbered, you know exactly how many there are. Now, sometimes it's a little trickier. Sometimes you have these like modern tops Chrome sets have a lot of cards that are parallels that have these different print runs that are a little bit ambiguous where you don't exactly know, right? Like you have the gold number to 50, but then there might be a gold lava that's unnumbered and a gold bubbles that's unnumbered and a gold wave that's unnumbered. But if you look on the back of the pack wrapper, you might see, oh, the pack, you know, the pack odds are very similar to the gold, but then they don't really tell you, did they print, you know, a thousand Erling Hollands and 10 Jude Bellinghams? Like you don't really know, right? Yeah. So I would say also for vintage cards, it can be really, really hard to tell sometimes. And so this is this, what I would start with in terms of, you know, you want to buy something, you have money, you want to invest. You, what you have to do first is you have to research the rarity of something. Um, and, you know, I messed up a lot early in vintage soccer because I was buying a lot of these cards where I'm like, oh, there's only two or three on eBay. Like I'm going to snag them real quick. I'll overpay 20% on comps because of it. Right. And then like over the next six months, like a hundred more got listed. Now for each of those, there was also one time where I bought something where nothing got listed again for a year, right? It's like you buy that 2000 Zlatan rookie card that was a sticker release that only came out in Sweden. And you didn't really know how rare it was at the time, but you got one and another, another one didn't get listed for six months. Like that sort of thing happened too. So there were some wins and some losses in there. But if I just would have waited a little bit and watched and had my safe searches for each of these players and seen over the course of six or 12 months, how often something comes up or doesn't. Another example is I have a search for sealed GameCube. Like that's the whole search. And every single brand new GameCube game that comes up, I see and every day I check it and scroll through it. And, you know, a lot, there's a lot of, there's a lot of repeat games there. A lot of games that I see every time, but then every now and then once, once a week, once a month, I'll see, oh, I haven't seen that one. And in two years of searching for it. Right. And, and because I have this backlog of having searched for that for so many years, I can tell when something's really rare and when something isn't right. So if you're interested in a certain category, first thing I would say to do, make saved eBay searches and check them regularly, check them like crazy. Right. And then after six or 12 months of really seeing, you'll know what's rare and what isn't when it comes up. Now that's one part to what makes something, you know, be a really good investment and have longevity, I think is rarity, but rarity, rarity is not the only thing, right? Like there are a thousand one-on-ones out there today that I would not touch and yeah. a thousand and thousand is an under-exaggeration. I'd say like it's probably a million. I, I think I heard someone say Trevor Lawrence has 79 one-of-one RPAs and Panini XR alone. Like, can that be right? Like, that's insane, that's right? And so it's like, you know, the other thing that I would really say is important because you can have something that is rare, that is worthless, right? You can have a terrible one-of-one. -one. You can have a whatever, a 2006 Bowman, Brett Myers, Magenta printing plate, one-of-one. -one. It's worth 20 bucks and it's not a good investment. I bought them. They're bad investments. I have them for fun, right? Because <laughs> yeah. it's a Philly, but like they're not a good investment. So if it's not just rarity, what's the other piece? The other piece to me is replaceability. And so I think about that in terms of, you know, um, if I just wanted any one of one Trevor Lawrence, well, there's 3000 of them out there, right? Whatever it is. So it's not really that rare. Now that's part of the reason I really like gold prisms is because I don't think there's a, a real comp to that. Whereas if I'm just like, Hey, you know, ending Trevor Lawrence numbered to 10 or less, right? Well, that's a huge universe of cards. If I'm like, you know, the, the gold prism though, it is rare. There's only 10 of them. And it's not really replaceable. Like, you know, the gold shimmer is not worth as much. Cards numbered to less aren't worth as much. Even like the black gold or the gold vinyl number to five in prism is often worth less than the, the gold prism, right? And so there's not really a comparable card that can replace the gold prism. And so that's part of the reason that I really like that card too, is because, you know, there's not a whole lot of replaceability for it. If you just, hey, I want any 
Mac Jones autograph rookie card. Well, there's 2,100 of them, right? So like it's very replaceable unless you have an important set. So, you know, I think about, it's not just rarity, it's replaceability. And I think you can sort of apply that to any collectibles category. And if you find things that are rare and irreplaceable, then, and you know, you have to, you have to simultaneously have something that has some real demand around it, right? I think if you can find those things in one collectible or in one category, that's probably a place where you can then safely, um, you know, invest some money. I love all that. I love the great tip you just gave our listeners uh, regarding eBay saved searches. The top people that I know that, you know, whether they're investing or collecting, utilize that. Everybody should utilize that. Everybody should utilize that. And be smart and creative about how they utilize it too, in terms of what searches they're doing specifically. When you're looking for something, I love what you talked about with replaceability. As someone who's been collecting for decades, I can tell you that that is a lesson that keeps coming back, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're going to move a lot of stuff and you're going to see a lot of stuff. And it's, it, you know, the regrets that come are generally as a result of that concept of replaceability. And it's got to be rarity because there's a lot of rarity. There's a lot of rarity out there, but it's rarity and interest. And I'm going to use that to transition to something very Canadian because Coach Co and I are Canadians. And we love the game of hockey and collecting hockey cards. Uh, that's something that's been interesting in our division, which is, you know, you'll see, uh, uh, I'll just give you one example. There are cards numbered out of 99 in a set called Ultimate, which are autographed rookie cards. And then there are cards numbered to 99 in an acetate set, no autograph, called Ice. And invariably, every year, uh, I don't know if that's maybe still ha- it probably is still happening to this to this year. Most likely, people want those acetate ninety nines, and they pretend like those ultimate ninety nines don't even exist, despite the fact they have an autograph that are ninety nine. So, so just kind of the outside logic may not actually tell you the entire tale. It's got there's got to be rarity plus demand. Now, say and by the way, there's only one RPA of Sidney Crosby. There's only one RPA of Alexander Ovechkin. There's only maybe. Yep four or five RPAs, maybe five to 10 of Connor McDavid. And uh, I'm just relating that back to your tweet again. And that said, how do you feel about the hockey sector, Eric? Is that anything that's <laughs> Well, uh, you know, my, my hockey knowledge is about yay big. Nice. Um, but, you know, I, I am a fan of Upper Deck. I know they still have the rights. And I think that in general, they make nicer product with more game use memorabilia pieces than a lot of these, you know, Panini tops would ever do today. Um, so that's number one. That is nice. Now, I, I will say of hockey and one of the things that I sort of mentioned earlier that makes me less excited about one, it's just not a sport that I really grew up with or loved to spend a lot of time with. And so yeah. that just makes i i have a hard time buying things i'm not interested in right like i'm sure there's a bunch of great n64 there's nothing wrong with that though do you know what i mean there's there's literally nothing wrong with that that's like that's that's the the heart of collecting right it makes sense you got to know what you're buying yeah totally and i I, like to me i feel like it has to mean something to me for me to even be able to have that sort of like right logic around what makes the most sense like i'm sure there's great n64 investments i never played n64 like i can't get excited about it and if, you know, I'm going to spend as much time as I'm going to spend with something, like I got to be excited about it. And I got to be interested in it to really make the best choices. And that's why, like for me, it's GameCube, right? Um, but back back to the hockey piece, like I don't have that connection with it, but I will say like time after time again, I, I fought at Golden to not post anything hockey because it tanked every time we posted. We could not get anything hockey to stick whatsoever. I also run this Twitter account called 
cards boulevard it's basically like it's just the best cards ever it's all i post best cards ever right so i'm um, trying to think a few recent ones that i posted right there's like uh early lebron james uh one of one rookie cards and things like that um you know babe ruth bat knob cards have done really well on there things of that nature i just posted the uh who was it was it wayne gretzky Sidney crosby dual ud the cup 0506 double shield one of one yeah it was, it was my least like post in the history of the account history of the account right so like for me i'm just like mm, i can't i can't get excited about that i don't know the guys there's not any social buzz around it when i post it no one cares about it and me personally it's like i could probably name less than 10 hockey players like ever so for me it's hard to get excited about but yeah. you know i also understand look if, if you are if you are someone that's grown up with that and it's obviously ingrained in the culture there more than it is here like and it doesn't it doesn't take a big group of people uh to make cards really go up in value a ton if you have a few people that are just really into it and really passionate about it like if there's a thousand and passionate hockey card fans that are really into it that'd be enough to drive the market crazy if they if they all really got excited about it at the same time so um you know not not my cup of tea but i'm not going to hate on it either it's an example of what you mentioned with uh, the cardboard hobby being very u.s based but it is something that people do have to take into consideration um kind of going forward is you know local demand uh people will tell you over and over you know in in our country it is a obviously smaller but an incredibly dedicated and passionate yeah. group of people. Same as in the Scandinavian countries, which I often find myself doing business with because there's so many Scandinavian players. Um, and it is something that has that same international appeal as soccer, um, as basketball does going, going in towards China and that sort of thing. So it'll be interesting to see how that play out. I, I, I don't know exactly if, if cardboard is going to infiltrate certain certain cultures mm -hmm. yes it has yet to be seen but a lot of people talk about it um when you came in eric and you started the discord and you noticed how excited people were and how popular it was is that still maintaining it at this point some people will tell you the sky is falling like you mentioned some of the expensive stuff is still doing really well mm -hmm. as opposed to base cards where are we at now four years later um you know i'm I would say as far as the discord is just something I sort of pulled my foot off the gas on. I haven't promoted in a long time. I felt like the juice wasn't totally worth the squeeze on it. So I don't know that that's like the best place for me to dig and see, you know, what the sort of economy of cards is like today. But I the, look, you, I, you see both sides of it everywhere. People will say, ah, sky's falling. It's going to keep happening. You know, 2024 is the real crash, whatever it is. You see, you see this stuff everywhere. You've got, you've got the sky's falling, which by the way, when they're content creators or people that are trying to have any sort of social following or growth, like saying something like that is naturally good for them, right? Because it's a very engaging sort of crazy thing to put out there. It's sort of like, I don't even know how to say his name, the Carl Jobs guy that made the video about WADA. It's sort of like, oh, the sky's falling. There's all this like terrible things going on. Like six months later, he's buying WADA slabs. Like, yeah. you know, but for him, but for him, he was incentivized to really like, well, it's a better story. Hey, WADA's like, you know, they're this company that did this and that. And along the way, like maybe there was this guy at Heritage that was bidding some stuff up that shouldn't, but we're not really sure. And it looks like WADA wasn't really involved in it, but that's the end of the story. Like, what's better story that or like what is these criminals they're these crooks right and so like i whenever i whenever i see anything on social media i always take it through that lens of people are like people are trying to get attention that's what happens on social media and obviously sky is falling is a way bigger attention grabber than hey you know things are down 10 percent. things are down 20 percent right? Like it's just, it's, it's a way Absolutely. bigger attention grabber. So I always take things on social media with a grain of salt, particularly someone who, you know, makes a living off social media. I really tell you with a grain of salt, um, you know, my sort of, my sort of thought on macro card market, I guess I would say, and where it's at is like, I, I think, you know, 
an SGC 9.5 mantle selling for 12.6 million tells you that the top of the market is fine. There's almost nowhere else you need to look there. Now, I, I do hate that people sort of use the 86 Fleur Jordan as a barometer for, for market health. I think that's silly. Like you got to look way wider than that. And that'd be like picking one stock in the, in, you know, the, the New York stock exchange and looking at that and being like, Oh, the market's down because, yeah. you know, Peloton, Peloton, Oh, Peloton's down 90%. The stock market's a terrible investment, right? Like it's, it's silly to look at one sort of thing and, and jump to that conclusion. Um, you know, I, I think that people have come to their senses on what's important. I feel like for these junk, what I would call junk based cards, which is basically any high pop based card of basically anyone ever, um, you know, obviously I'm not, not counting condition rarities of older players and things like that, but you know, I felt it feels like a race to the bottom on that stuff. Still people getting slabs back immediately putting it on eBay. It's like, to me, there's these two sort of races happening in cards right now. One is the race to the bottom, which is people trying to get rid of the stuff that they realize, Hey, this is not important. This is replaceable and it's not rare. And then there's the race to the top towards these cards and different items that people say, Hey, check it out. I, I've learned now I've been in this six, 12, 24 months. I've learned now this is rare and this is irreplaceable. And I may not have another chance to buy this. Those type of cards I think are going to continue to crush it. Um, you know, I'm a believer in the cards market in general, like, and, and truthfully, Michael Rubin and Josh and those guys being involved, like that gets me really excited about it. Like I I'm telling you, Michael Rubin is like a cold blooded killer. That guy's not going to lose money on this thing. This guy, that guy's going to make it his personal life mission to make cards enormous. And he has of anyone in the world, the best tools to do so. Um, but you know, I, I'm, I'm excited about sort of macro where cards are headed in five to 10 years, but I could also point to plenty of sets that I think are going to get crushed in the next five to 10 years. And I, I still, I don't like the 86 Fleer Jordan in a 10. I don't like that card in 10 at its current price. I think it's still too high. And I think in five years, it'll be even lower. Right. And so, you know, but that doesn't mean that the market's bad. I can point to another five or 10 cards that I think are going to crush it over that same time period. So, you know, it depends, it depends where you look. Um, but overall, I, I have almost no worries about the card market as a whole. And I can say that with, like I said, a huge percentage of my net worth wrapped up in cardboard. That's awesome. I love it, man. What What are you What are you most excited about um, when it comes to? Uh, I mean, it, it, this is gonna. It's going to be the story over the next little while as we find out more about the potential Panini deal, and then you've mm-hmm. already got people talking now about other names like Upper Deck. Uh, what is yep. going to be the? What What do you feel will be? Because I mean, listen, there's going to be a lot of impacts. What do you feel will be the biggest impact? What do you think that will be the biggest move, the biggest change as a result of Fanatics coming in? I think hobby shops are going to get killed and I, and unpopular opinion. I think they need to, I think it's ridiculous. The markup that hobby shops make. And I don't think that people transact at hobby shops the way that they used to. That's like, a, that's an opinion that will get a lot of hate, but to me, it's like, you know, hobby shops are making like, what is it? 50, 50 points on hundred points on items that they sell. Like you're Something buying your t- talked about a lot. You're, you're buying your tops Chrome 2019 UCL box at, or whatever the most recent one you're buying it at your hobby shop for 200 bucks. Your hobby shop bought it for a hundred. Like what happens if tops and, and Panini and Fanatics sort of just like cut out that middleman and they give you the product for 30% less while they make 50% more. Like it, it, there's this whole opportunity there and the hobby shop like me. And one of the things that frustrated me to no end was when all these people would like go online and be like, Oh, like, it's so terrible that, you know, Walmart doesn't have any boxes. Like kids need to have a way to buy wax. Like it's never been easy for a kid to buy wax. Like, you know, that kids don't like go to their local Walmart and go to their local target, like to transact anymore. Like most transactions occur online. It's never been easier to buy wax online and get your, you can get your boxes on eBay. You can get them on StockX. You can get them anywhere. It's, it's never, 
it's never been easier. And even like old, old boxes, like there's so much, there is so much accessible wax, like under 50 bucks. It's unbelievable. I was going to say, people, it's, it's also, it, yeah. Those glasses are expensive to begin with. It's also tiered, you, you know, like kids would never, ex- they were never expected to pay high dollar for the, the, for premium products. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I, I agree. Every time someone says that, like, there's not enough, yeah. not enough wax for kids. I'm like, there's plenty of like lower end products that I would probably have ripped as a kid. Like I talked to you before, before we even jumped on this show that, you know, one of the first memories I have of collecting cards was like ripping McDonald's hockey cards. Those were a dollar a pack, like a dollar a pack, man. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't ripping, like, it's not because it wasn't accessible or whatever. Like it was just outside my budget. It was outside like whatever my scope was as a kid. And we still have that happening in Canada, which is why that I get so upset when I see these companies, uh, we're trying to resell Tim Horton packs, uh, which was going on during the pandemic. That was terrible. But yeah, I mean, like kids, you know, blasters are expensive to begin with. Like these kids can't get these prison blasters. Well, even if they yeah. could find them, it's still expensive. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think, um, you know, I, a lot of people are going to hate the opinion of hobby shops need to get cut out. But look, it's like it's going to pass a lot of savings on to the consumer. It's going to also let these brands like print less because their margins are going to be significantly higher. And I think that it's going to you know create this environment where they're able to make a ton more money with less product, which is, you know, and the customer is going to get the product for less money. Like who's, who doesn't win in that scenario? There's like one person who doesn't win in that scenario. It's the guy that's been running the legacy business of his hobby shop that is, you know, not to hate on hobby shops, had a lot of great memories in hobby shops, but most hobby shops are bad for these brands. Most of them look really dingy. Most of them look like they're straight out of the nineties and haven't been updated and they're really dilapidated and they look terrible. And they've got those nasty glass display cases that are yellowed out. And like, you know, it's like, think about it this way, right? Like if you're in sneakers and you want a Nike account, they're not going to give you a Nike account if your store looks like crap. Why? Because it crushes their brand. Meanwhile, these, you know, these companies like Extra Butter or Undefeated or whatever that you go in the store and the store is beautiful and their, and their brand is really built up and important and, and revered in the sneaker community. Those are the guys that get the great Nike accounts and get the big releases, right? Because it's, it's a win-win. It's good for Nike because, you know, they get the brand association with these really cool sort of, you know, uh, uh, you know, ground level companies that are, that are really exciting. These grassroots companies that are sort of, you know, up and coming from the street, whatever, right. They get that brand association. It's really valuable for them. They, and if you go in the store, it's, it's beautiful. It's polished. You feel like you're shopping in a luxury, like a Rolex or an LV. And it's, you know, the $200 Nike sneakers there, like that needs to happen for cards. And if you're one of those old dilapidated 1990s looking businesses, like you just need to be cut out point blank and your revenue stream needs to go to zero. Like you need to, like, I, I, I hate to sort of like, you know, go that crazy of an opinion out here because i know people are like hate on that but yeah, like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the best thing that can ha- happen for the hobby is that these dilapidated legacy hobby shop businesses get cut out i will say for for what it's worth there is a certain charm to the hole in the wall that you will find on a road trip or that you remember from your youth there are some superstores that we've seen built during the pandemic as a result of the new money coming into the hobby we see Upper Deck, Panini uh, offering incentives and actually uh, building up some of these stores. But so the reason why some people will probably have trouble with the take, Eric, is because of, quote unquote, the community and having kind of and this is the concern. But here's the thing. I'm agreeing with you 100 percent on the thing that you mentioned that people don't want to talk about markups and, yep. and that side of the business. Yep. People don't want to focus on that. But you're right. But beyond that, how do we deal with the fact that what people aren't going to like about your take is that, you know, it's. It's kind of a central location to meet for the community trade nights. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. How can fanatics facilitate that? Because maybe there is a way. 
let me ask you this. One is how many, how many friends have you made through any of your sort of collecting hobbies? Just ballpark. Throughout my life? Or do you want to ask Coach Co? <laughs> well, I mean, I'll, ask, I'll ask you, Co. Go ahead. Uh, how many have I made through collecting? Yeah, just in general. How many, how many friends, just, hobby friends, people that you sort of call like, you know, part of your community? How, how often do I speak to these people? I don't know. You tell me. Like, like it's, people it's, that it's, a hypo- a it's a hypothetical basis. question. I just think it's, 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 it's a big number. It's a big, I mean. I'm look- Right. Okay, cool. Big number. Yeah. That's all you need yeah. to say, right? Yeah. Ballpark numbers. Yeah, yeah. Now, the next question is how many of those people did you meet at your local hobby shop? A much smaller number, but like much, still, mu- yeah, yeah, sorry, much, much smaller, smaller number, number, right? Yes. Now, I do think there are things that yes. you can do to facilitate community, but my wider point is that like this community is, is, is way bigger than like your local little hobby shop. And of the people that I'm friends with in the sports collecting community, I've been to my hobby shop a hundred times. Not one of the people that I know, aside from the people who are the owners of the store, who are cool, who are nice, who I talk to when I go in, but never any other time. Like yeah. My whole hobby community has been made outside of the hobby shop. And maybe that's, maybe that's more of a unique sort of modern twist on it. But I, I don't think that that's any better or worse than meeting your people through a hobby shop versus not. Are there things that Tops and Panini and Fanatics and these companies could do to help facilitate a little bit of community? I'm sure there is. Um, but I don't, I don't think cutting out, I don't think that's a good enough reason to not cut out hobby shops and to, uh, you know, pass that savings on to the consumer. It's a super interesting take. Uh, I'm going to yeah. kind of double back to, so you said that, that might be enough to kind of uh, like be the catalyst to result in lower print runs. Do you think that those companies would willingly scale back uh, if, if the opportunity arose? Like, so it's a, it's a good question, right? There's sort of the catch 22 of like, well, Hey, look, you print less, like you're going to make not as much money as you could, but, but you print too much then like that might hurt, you know, your earnings in six or 12 or 24 months. Right. And so there's that really interesting sort of push pull that they have to have. And like, look, if, if, if Michael Rubin or Josh Luber or someone is listening to this, like one of my pleas would just be like, really make very, very clear what is investment grade product and what is not. And what is not run the printers, run them all day long, right? Like Topps flagship base should have unlimited supply, almost unlimited supply, right? But then when you have your Sapphire, that should be pretty limited and you should keep it to that specific number of parallels and you shouldn't change it. And if you do change it, the way you should change it is you should change it by making more base cards, keeping all the number cards the same, making the number cards harder to hit, right? And so I think, I also think that there's an, it's, you know, it's interesting. Tops, how much did Top sell for? Was it 500 million? I think so. You take yeah. the market cap of the Mickey Mantle, 52 Tops Mickey Mantle alone, the market cap on that card is probably more than $500 million. These companies need to find a way to align their incentives with the consumer and make sure that they make money as the cards go up in value. I don't know if there's some way that they hold back a certain number of cards and they publicly disclaim, hey, we're making this specific set. We're going to use it later on. We're going to offer it this certain thing at this certain time. But I think if they can find a way to align their incentives with the end consumer, ironically, Tops would have sold for 100, not 100, 10, 10 to 20 times more if it was just they were selling all the cards they had ever made at once, right? Like the value of the cards that they made over the history of their company is worth a huge multiple of what the company is actually worth. And so it's like, well, geez, why wouldn't you find a way to be invested in the value of your own product in the long term? Because if they would have been doing that from the jump, their company would have been worth significantly more than $500 million. That's a very interesting take again, man. Yeah, there's a bit, a bit of an element involved in that when it comes to repackaging or the, you know, the products where they'll take an existing card. Like a buyback yeah, autograph, for instance. Yep. That's yep. Yeah. 
I do think that there is a big opportunity in, in repacks. I, I think that there's definitely an opportunity there for them to do something. I also think there's probably an opportunity for them to do something in buybacks, right? Like what would happen if they had a, a full print run of cards yeah. and they say how many there are. And then what if even on buybacks, like they destroy the cards, right? And so it's like now they, and they keep a running number of how many cards they've destroyed of each one. And now there were 10,000 of this card to start. Now there's only 6,000, right? But then they pay you to get it back. And there's a, there's, there's a million things that people could do to innovate in the space. I'm sure the, you know, the Rubens and Lubers, not to keep repeating those guys, but I'm sure those guys are talking about it and thinking about it and what they can do. I know Luber and his manifesto talked about the opportunity to do yeah. different things with repacks. Um, but not, yeah, there's, there's a lot of opportunity. It's got to be out there. It's got to be transparent. You're, you're, I'm sure you're going to have detractors who tell you that it is an opportunity for some, uh, um, I, I, I hate to say it, hanky-panky and, uh, and that sort of thing. But it's got to be done in an intelligent way, in a transparent way, because what you're saying uh, definitely has some weight to yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think I think companies, and, and one of the things that they do to really sort of confuse the consumer, which I think is shysty, is they'll make, they'll make the retail, they'll make the first off the line, and then they'll make the, you know, they'll make the choice and they'll make the whatever it is, the retail versus the blaster versus the hanger versus the this, the that, and they all have different odds. <clears throat> and then you can't really from there, like tell how many of something are actually yeah. made because right, like, you know, the super fractor is one in 6,000 in hobby, but it's one in 6 million in retail, but how many do they put in retail and how many do they put in hobby? And that now, because of that, it's a lot harder to sort of figure out, well, how many base cards exist? How many of this exists? Like, I do think that in the future, we'll, we will see a lot of transparency with this. Even with the first Zero Cool set, they, like, they said exactly how many of each card were made. With this the Jackass with the jackass set, they came out right away. They said, this is how many of each of these cards, how many of each of the packs. Here's how many boxes we're holding back to give away for promo. They said everything in there, right? And I think that's going to be the way of the future. I think consumers are going to come to expect that. Um, and, you know, I, I think I think you should release the print run of every card you've ever made period what's better than giving more you know you want you want people who are buying cards to have the most information possible to make the best investments possible right because if someone buys a bunch of cards they find out later a high print run and they get burnt and that was their first experience well they're probably done right so like what what's better than giving the end consumer the most information possible to make the best decisions it's like i, I think consumers should come to expect that at some point and i hope that happens sooner rather than later Right now, we just got these poor guys on YouTube that create these Excel spreadsheets. I think it's oh. Striper Breaks is one of them. Comparing <laughs> retail with hobby, and he's trying to come up with the numbers. My God, he's he's going through quadratic complex equations. Oh yeah, dude, trust me. Like uh, I'm, uh, I, I think that I got all my math skills from reading the back of pack wrappers as like a four year old trying to do this myself <laughs> back in the day. Yeah. Um, but it's like I have plenty of Excel spreadsheets too, right? Like I just ran one on 2017 Topps Chrome UCL, which some of you may know is like the sort of what most people agree is the big Mbappe rookie card. Yeah. I'm sort of looking at it like, okay, here's the price of wax um you know here's i know that the mbappe super fractor which is the big card in there hasn't been pulled yet or at least publicly hasn't been pulled and so yeah. i'm thinking okay so what i did is like i went and i took the top three players i took messi ronaldo mbappe and i looked at all their parallels all their different cards across the set back in 2017 soccer even with inserts and the parallels and the parallels of inserts it's only about 20 different cards that each of these guys have yeah. including autos so i went and i and I, I could find out the population of each single one of those cards i went and added out okay so there's you know the gold 
uh, Messi's worth 10 grand and there's 50 of them. Okay, 500,000. I went through every single card of Messi, Mbappe, Ronaldo, and did that. And then I took the rest of the players and just sort of grouped them into one and said, okay, here's my best guess of the value of all their cards combined. I add that all up to find the total value of every card in the entire set ever made. And it was right around $40 million, I think it was. And then I could find out, okay, well, based on this, you know, based on looking at the super fractor odds, it's a hobby only product. There's 100 cards in the set. They made 19, you know, 19,000 boxes or whatever it was. And it came out to be that a box on average, your expected value return was 1900 bucks. And that's before any, knowing anything about pools or what's still left or, you know, but then if you like sort of make a couple of assumptions and you say, okay, hey, well, here's what I know has been pooled. Let's cross these ones out. Let's, you know, say 80% of the product's been open. You know, the Mbappe super is still in there. Okay, well, now boxes might be worth 2200 right? And okay, I can get a 12 box case for 19000 Like the expected value return on that is interesting. And I always think like, you know, if you can, if you can open all of the existing product and make money, then that's a product that's like, one of those rare instances where you might want to actually buy the product and rip it, which yeah. is something that like, you know, unless you're really experienced, you shouldn't be buying any product and ripping it as an investment. If you want to buy a box, 20, 30, 50, hundred dollar box for fun. Great. But like as an investment, it's not the best play unless you really, really know what you're doing and run all the numbers. Um, but you know, like that's, that's like what you have to do with wax nowadays to know anything, which is a joke, right? Like this, this information should be a lot more readily available. Yeah, I always find it interesting that there's not like a running tally as to like what's been pulled and what hasn't. And and the reason why there isn't is because there's so many goddamn variations of every single card. And let take to your point, like I mean, there's retail, there's first off the line, there's there's uh, hobby exclusives. Like there's just too many parallels for people to keep track of like what has been pulled and what hasn't been pulled. And that's why if anyone you know if you're holding wax, especially ultra modern wax, I mean it's. To me, it just sounds like a, like a ticking time bomb almost. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and that's, even, not, that's not with everything, but... Even if you go back a few years, like, you know, like 2014 Prison World Cup is a great example. Like at the time, these cards weren't worth a ton of money and people yeah. are getting golds and blacks and just throwing yeah. them in a, in a shoebox under yeah. their bed and don't know any better, Yeah. right? And so, you know, those cards, like you'll never really know what happened. I do think there's a really interesting opportunity for pack opening to go digital. I don't mean digital trading cards. No. Like I, I mean, you know, you open the pack digitally, it shows you what you get, and then you can elect to have the cards, the actual cards, shipped to you, right? But imagine that's like, imagine that's how Tops Chrome went, right? You go online, it's the Tops release, you, you type it in, whatever, boom, okay, you got your box, okay, you digitally open your box, and now you say, okay, there's all these base cards, I don't want those shipped to me, I'll let Tops buy those back for me for five bucks, I'm going to take these six numbered cards out of here. And then Tops would also know, okay, hey, these are the cards that have been pulled. Here's what still remains. And they could publicly display, okay, yeah, they're the, the J-Rod. There's, you know, 150 blue refractor autographs. There's, there's 37 still in boxes. There's 36 still in boxes. There's 35 still in boxes. And they could have that count publicly. It would also save them all the costs of all shipping. the packaging and, yeah. and shipping and all of that. Right. So like, they don't even have to make the box. They don't have to make, they don't have to make the wrapper. They can have the redemptions, you know, actually show as the card and they can get it autographed later after the fact, if they need to. Right. And so there's like all these interesting things that they could do, but like, how cool would that be to like sort of track, like, Oh, you know, like imagine 2009 tops, right. 2009 tops basketball is one in particular where it's like that Steph Curry super, no one knows where it's at. But if that, if that product, I was like, this is so hypothetical, but like if that released digitally and now you say there's 8% of the product left and the Curry Superfractor is still in one of the boxes, right? It just, it would, it would create this really, really interesting and exciting thing around wax where people had real transparency and could, could rip real time, which like, you know, for me would be a problem. Like tops, if tops did this, like I would just rip wax on their, on their site 24 seven. Yeah. I, I think like me personally, like that, that like tangible element is like, is like really important to me. Um, 
and I'm sure that it is for a lot of other people as well. You know, maybe you transition into it eventually. But um, I think I, I do agree with you that like if there was a way to track, you know, somehow, some way, what was what was still out there and what was available and, uh, you know, maybe to a certain extent, like facilitate what gets shipped and what doesn't. Uh, I think that would create a whole new rush for for past totally. product and for future product, right? Or or existing product that are out. Do you guys right do you guys ever worry about like big product? You know, as a nine tops Chrome, someone just like in the manufacturing line saw the curry soup yeah, and pocketed it. Like you know, you know I I always worry about yeah. that type of thing yeah. too, right? Yeah, of course, man, one hundred percent. Because there's been attempts. Like you see, you see some websites where they track the RPAs in the cup over in uh, Upper Deck Hockey, but it's always going to be incomplete no one's incentivized to share information or they, they're not aware that information is being collected. Sometimes it's uh, a security risk as well. Right. I mean, like if you, start, if, you, yep. if you start showing and, off like the crazy stuff you have, I mean, well, I, I mean, listen, if I have a, <laughs> I just send them a photo, not my yeah, info. Yeah. yeah. And it also helps with authenticity as, as well. Now, uh, Eric just made a great argument for the, the, the digitalization, being able to track things, everything's kind of, uh, traceable and recorded that that's interesting i worry about expanding upon that because i hear a lot about the concepts you know with and regarding fanatics where everything becomes a one-stop shop and everything is done at this one-stop shop i i, I think I, I overheard i was watching some podcasts they talked about oh imagine you pull the card from the pack digitally and then instead of having it sent to you have them send it to the grader and i was like wait a minute yep. you never held the card in your hand you're just looking at a digital photo of the card. You cannot make a decision on whether or not you want to grade it or what grade it right. might have. So I do worry about taking away the human ability to make a decision or or what they want to do with the card. But beyond that, what Eric mentioned, that that's a solid argument for is being able to track things, being able to have the, the record, so to speak. Well, I will say too, like if you're worried about the one-stop shop, like I think Fanatics is going for the whole pie. Like I think they want grading. I think they want the full yeah. distribution. I think they want the yeah. manufacturing. I think, I think they want the supplies business. You know, I think they want the data business. I think they want everything around this. And I, I would be, I'd be shocked if they didn't try to buy or start their own grading company, for example. Yeah, I was thinking. I, would it be more likely that they would? You know, you hear rumors, right? You, would it be more likely that they'd be looking? I, I would think personally, it's a smarter thing to get in with a grading company. I think the reason why we're seeing some new ones pop up is I think they believe that they will have a, an opportunity there to work with a company like Fanatics. But I, but you, you hear things about CSG. Um, do you think that they would start their own at, at any point? Or I mean, look, that for them, that's just going to be some cost benefit analysis to determine, hey, what's it cost to buy a company versus what do we think we can you know do with our own capital to start one? And, yeah. and I'm sure they'll just sort of make the best financial decision in that case. But yeah, I, I think you're right to call out uh, CSG is one that would be a potential acquisition. I think SGC could be a potential acquisition. I also think Beckett's probably struggling in a lot of ways, but oh, yeah. is, a, is, a, is, is a real legacy brand that carries a yeah, lot of weight I, as they are able to saying, sort of do things the right way. Like I agree. To me, Beckett is the company to acquire because operationally they've been utter failures the last three to five years. But legacy-wise, they have this incredible business. Like I, I will not sub a card to Beckett. I I hate what Beckett has done, particularly with soccer slabs. They've authenticated yeah. a lot of fake stuff. Yeah. But at the same time, I ha I have brand equity with Beckett, where I had the, I had the monthly Beckett's <laughs> like every month, and I'd rush to the mailbox and get them and open them up and look in the super collector spotlight and the top ten cards of the month, like all this stuff. Like I did it all right. Like and and they have so. 
so yes. much built up brand equity with me, right? Yeah, I've got, <laughs> I've got some updates, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, like it, I want them to do well. Yeah. But I think that particular thing about them has them primed to be acquired by someone because you know they have that real like sort of built up love with the hobby, but they've just operationally been disastrous. So if someone comes in there and cleans things up, like they're a company that they're down in the dumps right now, but the sky's the limit for those guys. And I think, I think like if I was fanatics, depending on sort of what their ask was and, and you know, what, what that all looked like, like I, that would be a company I'd be targeting for sure. Yeah. That's bingo. I couldn't agree more. I mean, and, and it just depends on like how quickly you want to do it. Right. Like, I mean, I, I don't think fanatics is in any rush to acquire a grading company right this second. And, and honestly, the way that BGS is going with all due respect, I mean, every day they're, they're becoming less and less valuable. You know, like, I mean, yeah, I'm, just, I'm I, just, with you. I just like, I just feel like every day I, I'm like, oh, well, they did something that's completely irrelevant to them getting back on like the map in terms of grading and they're like, improving their credibility or <laughs> like anything of that nature. You know what is, I mean? Is that the conspiracy? Is what? that why I received mislabeled cards and, uh, you know, cards that went from RCR down two points to the slab. Is that what's happening? They want to devalue themselves. Maybe right. that's the conspiracy. Yeah. Maybe, you know? maybe fanatics planted an inside man. To <laughs> but that's like such a Michael Rubin move, right? Like buy the top, buy, buy the MLB license and then get tops for a 50% discount. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, that is 3d chess. Yeah. Yeah. That is. Yeah. That's yeah. Wild. Totally. But, um, uh, we, you know, we look, would be remiss I, if we didn't, sorry, Eric, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think like you guys, I'm rooting for Beckett's like do yeah, something 100%. cool because I love what they've done. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a PSA guy. I don't think that's ever going to change, but at the same time, like I would like Beckett to do some cool things. And I like the brand that they had in the past. I've reached yeah, out we, to them. I'm like, I'm like, Hey, let's figure out like how we can make you great again. Like, you know, like not being cheesy or anything and like no response. So I was like, all right, it's cool. You know, I'm just going to let yeah. you, I'm just going to let you come to me. <laughs> we would probably be remiss if we didn't mention another thing that starts with B not bull-ish, but um, breakers, uh, in terms of distribution, in terms of these sort of things, talk to us a little bit about, first of all, your thoughts and uh, how that's going to come into play, right? I mean, breakers are an element in all of this, right? How's Fanatics viewing that? How are they, how do you think they're, they're looking at that as a part of the whole strategy? Yeah, I mean, I, I would be really curious, I don't really answer this, but I'm really curious to, you know, see the distribution of wax and, and where it goes and who's buying the most of it. Like are, are breakers really a big percentage of that? Or is it like three or 5% or is it, is it 23 or 25%, right? Like I'm, I'm curious, these sort of online breakers that, you know, all of us know and love and use, like, are they really a big percentage of, of the buying and of the product? Or is it, you know, smaller than we think? I'd, I'd be curious to see that because I'm sure that will play into their strategy around it. But I also think there's real opportunity in the breaking space just like, I, again, sort of like hobby shops, I feel like there's a lot of things here that are antiquated. Like the technology is really behind. Like, you know, I I rip a lot of stuff on Blaze. I'll go on and soccer is a decent price. There's so like, I'm late at night and I'm just sort of like bored, can't fall asleep. Or I'll hop on and buy a box of Topps Chrome UCL, right? But like, you know, I also go on there and like, I, I see their videos and stuff. And it's like, they post the videos to Instagram with like the little, you know, the little, like they have the guy in the corner so you can see his reaction. They blow yeah, it up to big yeah. screen and post it. And it's like six pixels. And it's like, I don't know. There's, there's so much more that could happen with breaking. And I, I think that 
you know, uh, I, I do think there are multiple categories within the sports card trading card industry in general that are ripe for innovation. And I, and I do think that breaking is one of them. I'm not overly impressed by anyone that I've seen breaking. I think some people do it better than others. Some people like, you know, leave the breaking tech aside. Some breakers are just better. Like, okay, we're going to skip all the base. Okay. Here's the good stuff. Yeah. Right. And the other guys like go really slow and mispronounce names and whatever, but like, I, I have not been overly impressed by any of the breakers. And I, again, like I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's something that fanatics came for too, right? Like you've seen, I don't know if you've seen this, but like in, um, in the live shopping space, there's like these live shopping mills now, right. Where yeah. like it's happening in China a lot with yeah, yeah, like yeah. make, make this little like backdrop for someone and they'll have a hundred backdrops in a room and all the people are live streaming at once and they get like paid very little basically. But then, you know, they, the company that owns the space is making all the money off the sales. Like I, that type of thing could easily happen for cards too, where fanatics basically makes a breaking mill. And, you know, I'm sure the conditions would be better than what, we, what I just mentioned, but like, you know, people go in and there's maybe like, <laughs> there's 50 different studios and people yeah. are breaking and like i could totally see that happening <laughs> um, i wonder i wonder if it's like like what you mentioned that kind of an outliner because i do feel like there's an element of like the cult of personality here when you start to talk about guys like the the infamous uh guys in the backyard and things like that there's also kind of an element these guys themselves are a brand and have a following so i can see that being appealing on some level to uh to the company that's going to be at the head of the table yeah, um, and they definitely. have all the, they have all the leverage though because they have the product right so like oh yeah yeah no for like sure all the leverage, right yeah yeah yeah, literally, yeah. All of yeah. It. and i mean I'm, I'm sure the breakers are making way too many points on this stuff too right like yeah. just like i said the hobby shops are, are getting stuff at half off retail like i'm sure breakers are, are sort of yeah. in the same boat um and I, I like i expect that loop to be burnt for them at some point um maybe not entirely but but uh you know i just it's not going to be this way forever they're not going to let these people make millions of dollars off of them for doing you know almost no service to the company yeah right uh, let's get, let's, uh, one, one closing, uh, one closing statement. If you had to, uh, pick one thing to show off at a dinner party, what would it be in your collection? Mm, one thing in my collection at a dinner party. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's like the thing that's like coolest to me versus the thing that like, is so different. I guess. Um, let's, you know, let's, like, do, what... let's do, let's do a cards one and a general collectibles. one. <laughs> okay. So, um, uh, you know, I, depending on depending on the audience, if I, have, if I have a soccer audience, the card that I have that I'm like most jazzed on right now is just relates to like, I think it's sweet, but I also think it's got incredible upside is I have um, actually have two of them, <laughs> the 2018 Donruss Optic Gold of Vinicius, the rated rookie. Um, so I, I have two, I have two of the 10 of those. Of 10, I've got, eh? I've got a, Average. I've got a BG. A BGS 9.5 True Gem, and I have the PSA 10 as well. That so that one to me is like I got in those just early enough. I think he's like the next going to be the next big guy to sort of enter the realm of Mbappe, Holland, Ronaldo, Messi. I think he's the next guy that's going to enter in that sort of tier. Um, and you know, coming up on a World Cup where Brazil are potentially favorites, you know, I think that's a card that's like I'm I'm excited about those from the perspective. I think they're sweet. See, I, I also I think. Got I, upside. I only have a velocity at a 50, bro. Hey, well, that's, dude, I mean, look, <laughs> you, you know, don't, don't get me started. He's got, he's got two different rookie cards yeah, and there's not, there's not a lot of places you can go there. I know. I know. I agree with you. But, uh, hmm, let's think uh, a broader collectibles thing that I really like. I mean, uh, let me, I gotta look behind me, see if I can actually show you one. Um, I mean, look, like to me, this is not the this is not like the rarest thing ever, but like to me, this is really cool. Is you know like the, the modern warfare too. 
nine six a plus like you show this you show this to the right person and it just like means so much to them like this game was a cultural moment for for people my age i don't know how much you guys played that was that was my high school man that was my high school right there yeah (laughs) totally so like for me that's like that's really cool i can grab like um this is uh from the azteca game worn that's nuts uh sign jersey it's the uh it's the qualifier yeah so so this is um this is not the uh, the man in the mirror one. It's the other game, but yeah, still, yeah. I think I, I was think like, I was like, if it was that from if it, if it was from that game, I would have lost it right now. You know, I was like, yeah, no, I wanted one. to. Um, that was a big one. <laughs> I wanted I wanted to ask him if he still had that shirt. I'm sort of I Christian and I I sort of really random, but Christian and I were on the same soccer team growing up. We're both really. Um, we're both from Hershey, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And we both played for PA classics. I joke that like we were, we were on the same team until he went to play professionally. And I went to play like division three NCAA. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, went, I wanted to ask him if he still had that. Cause I was like, dude, if you have that, like, let me get it from you. Cause yeah. I think that's like the coolest, <laughs> like that's like the coolest piece of USMNT memorabilia out there. But yeah. if I had that, that would be the thing I would show for that, sure. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Well, uh, Eric, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today. Uh, thank you so much for providing uh, so many different perspectives. Uh, I'm sure a lot of them people will agree with and a lot of them people will disagree with. But uh, at the end of the day, we're getting people to talk. And that's what matters most, um, just dialogue in this space. And that's, that's something that all three of us here bring. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, totally, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, listeners, thanks for tuning in. I appreciate you guys listening to me ramble here. Um, Co, man, I just want to say too, I, I'm a I'm a big fan of what you're building and what you're doing. And I know I said it earlier on in the pod, but I'm gonna say it again. Like, it is rare to have influencers that also understand the industry, and you are one of those people. And every time, like, I feel like every time I watch one of your videos, I'm like, uh huh, uh huh. Yep. Like I'm just nodding along the whole way. And most people I'm sort of the opposite. I'm like, Nope, Nope. Wrong. Yeah. No, don't say that. Don't say that. Don't pump this. Don't pump that. But I, I think you got a really good head on your shoulders. I love the stuff that you're doing. I think, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk more after this ends. I can give a few tips and tricks for my life of social, but I, I think, uh, I think what you're doing there, you're just getting started. And I feel like in another 12 or 24 months, you're going to forget you were ever a fitness trainer. Cause this is going to be full time. Appreciate you, man. Thanks a lot, bro. Yeah. All sure right. thing. All right, team, as always, don't forget to like, subscribe, comment. If you agree with something, let it let us know. If you disagree with something, let us know. And uh, hey, let me know too. Yeah, I can, I yeah, can handle it. Yeah, yeah, come, yeah. come at me. Hit me, hit yeah, me yeah. in the mentions. I'm cool. You yeah. disagree with I, me? That's great. I love it. I, I love it. All right, Carver coaches are out of here. Take care. Thanks. See you guys.